everybody, and welcome back to our special season of Abolitionist Lent Bible Study. This Lenten season, we have been inviting people across traditions and mediums to explore themes of revelation, disruption, examination, and embodiment in ways that are for supporting a larger faith movement, reimagining restorative solutions to community safety, health, and wellness. We define abolition as not just the closing of prisons and ending of policing, but putting in place the vital systems of support that many communities are systematically disenfranchised from. Abolitionist Lentz is a collaboration between three organizations and some amazing folks, including Fellowship of Reconciliation, More Light Presbyterians, and the Presbyterian Peace Fellowship, alongside additional thought partners, Reverend Lindsay Anderson, Miles Markham, Minister Candace Simpson, and Reverend Amanda Barclay. It's been a joy to plan and dream and envision abolition together. So we've invited you to join us throughout the Lenten season as we define, explore, reflect, and take action to further the inbreaking of abolition into this world. And today I am very honored to be exploring Easter's text, uh, John 20 verses one through 18, through the theme of emptiness with Reverend Amantha Barbie. Before we get going and introducing ourselves, our name, our pronouns, and our identities, we wanna hold a space of silence, of mourning, of grief for the uh, majority Asian women killed in Atlanta and the shooting in Boulder, Colorado. It's been a violent week, a white supremacist violence week in particular. And um, we want to hold space for that rage and pain and sadness and grief. So please join me in some moments of silence. God, you know the words on our hearts, the rage on our hearts, the conviction we have to further the work of abolition, further the work of peace and justice and liberation. Please be with us in this conversation as we seek to follow you deeply into that. Amen. Amen. Amanda, <laughs> my friend. Um, I invite you to share with us a bit more about you, um, your name, your pronouns, your work and identities, because we know that those are with us today and when we talk through and encounter our biblical texts. Thank you for having me today and just hosting this time of study and learning and togetherness, as we do stand together. Um, name is Amantha Barbie. She, her, hers. I'm the senior pastor at Oakhurst Presbyterian Church in Decatur, Georgia, um, a bedroom community to Atlanta. So we are feeling our hurt in profound ways here um, in, in, in the Atlanta area. And thank you for offering that moment of silence and reflection. Um, 
I've grown up in a Baptist tradition, been Presbyterian pretty much since 2008. I'll go ahead and claim seminary too. Uh, it is, it's been a journey for me. Uh, part of the reason I left the Baptist tradition was because I could not live into my full self and be the black lesbian woman I am uh, freely and bring my whole self to the work of ministry. And that's just mandatory. You got to bring your whole self the way God made you, me, and everybody else. Amen. Yeah. Mm, I appreciate you sharing that journey too. Um, I'm so grateful for your whole self and your whole ministry and the partnership we've gotten to have over the years in seeking the inbreaking of, of justice and liberation in the world. Um, so I am Alex McNeil, my pronouns are he and him and serve as executive director at Morelite. And um, my identity in terms of my faith journey is one of, of being born and raised Presbyterian and really having a crisis moment in 2008, actually, of will the church ever be a place that, that can be a place to fully bring our whole selves as queer and trans people. And it took me a number, a couple of years to really believe yes, especially as the denominational laws changed and got to be part of that. Um, but it was not, it was not a flat journey. <laughs> it's been, it's been a journey of highs and lows and ups and downs of, is this a place that I can call home myself? Um, and I'm grateful that it has become that and continues to be that. And it's my mission in life to help it be a place others can call home and be fully who they are in all of the complexities of our identities and not have to pretend that we haven't experienced pain, oppression, rejection in and outside of the church walls, because I think today's text is a reminder, we've gotta, we gotta look at all of it. You can't just jump to Jesus is risen. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I'd love to move into exploring the text together. And as y'all know, we do this through Lectio Divina with a twist, where we ask different questions each time we read um, to help us deepen our exploration of what the text has to say to us today. So Amantha, I'd love for you to kick us off by reading through for the first time and and we'll look at what we notice, what stands out to us as we hear the text, a familiar text again. So I will be reading in RSV, John 21 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings laying, lying there, but he did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell him where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. I'm curious what stood out to you in reading it through this time. Nobody paid any attention to Mary's hurt. Mm. She's standing out this outside the tomb weeping. So these disciples that ran past her didn't even say, are you okay? I mean, are you hurting? Why are you crying? Only the angels addressed her pain. Mm. Those men of God did not address her pain. They were about their business. Mm. Yeah, that's really powerful because she, she's there before they get there. And then she goes to get them. She's still in pain, brings them back. She's standing outside, still in pain. They leave. She's still in pain and not one glance. Yeah. Similarly, or, or in a different way, I noticed all the running, the busyness, the activity um, at this hurriedness sense that the, that the disciples are carrying on. And I think they, I was wondering why they were running yeah. so fast. <laughs> What's the hurry he's dead? Um, but they're anxious. They're scared. Uh, they say that the one disciple believes um, 
and I'm not sure that Simon Peter really comes to believe, but we learn later they're going to lock themselves in a room. Like they're freaked out. So it calls don't know what to make of it. Believed what? <laughs> if you're going to lock yourself in a room, what do you believe? Yeah. 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 You so they're all. that the body was gone? Yeah. Yeah. Did they believe they had messed up? <laughs> like, are, I feel like they're, they're not not in pain. They just haven't taken the time like Mary to acknowledge their pain. Yeah. So I like what you say, you know, Mary was there before, during and after. Um, and I can't help but to think about our Asian siblings who were killed. Their families are in pain, horrific pain. And our media people and even our church people are just running all over the place. Mm. Their families are crying. They had family before that happened. They had family during that. And they have family now. But we're still running around. Right. That's right. So that's right. Yeah, well, but the other disciple outran Peter. <laughs> that's a race. What are we racing towards? Yeah. The norm. Yeah. You know, the version I read said the stone had been removed from the tomb. Of course, we've seen the stone had been rolled away. Mm -hmm. Something of a disruption. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't help but also see in this Mary's part of her pain is not yet another horrible thing has happened to Jesus. Like she, she's believing and seeing at first that, you know, it's at a grave robber. Has his body been yet more um, like abducted and, and, and harmed even after death? And, you know, to me, that's so clear of like, you know, people trying to see their loved ones in police lockup. Have you been yet more abused? What, mm. what further horror have you experienced? Um, and injustice have you found, have you have done to your body even after death? Um, and I, I imagine her trauma is, she, she's lived through this horrible week with Jesus, these horrible couple of, days with Jesus and, and here she's all she wants is to go attend to his grave and help him have a proper burial and yet another thing has been done to him in her mind um, which I, I think seeing it through a place of like repeat repetitive trauma um, why wouldn't she go to that conclusion right even knowing what she knows 
it's, you're right, it's been so much hurt and so much pain. That her lenses is covered of what we know. And I, I know that many of us who stand societally on the margins are so thwarted by the reality of what's going on around us, all the running around us, that we lose sight of what we know. Mm. And is that by design, Alex? Mm -hmm. Feels like it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that is by design. But I'm so grateful for Mary for just staying in her grief mm. that when everyone else is running, she's like, no, it's important for me to stay here. I got to figure this out. I got to ask the question, where is he? Of anyone who's around, if anyone knows, I got to stay and openly weep and just share that because <laughs> there's nowhere else I need to be right now, but right here. <laughs> It's almost as if there's an absence of mourning. Mm. Why aren't you guys crying? You've been calling him your brother, your teacher, your friend. Is that an appropriate response? What is that we, we learn, Alex, when, when you laugh inappropriately? Um, oh, yeah. Somebody tells yeah. you the most tragic thing ever and you just start laughing. I think we've all experienced loss. I don't ever recall running. Mm. <laughs> back and forth, running and back and forth, running back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what of this response was then like? I mean, part of it's like that embodied response of you need to move your body. You have to like run away. Like you're trying to run away from me. You're trying to outrun the, the horrible truth. Or um, you just can't, see, you know, sometimes when you, for me, when I experience something really shocking or terrible, it's like, I can't sit still, <laughs> you know, like right. I have to move around. I can't. You know, it's hard to find stillness. I think Mary, she's not still in that she's weeping, but she's not. <laughs> she ran too. She ran to get them. That's you true. Do bring in your family. That was her family. Yeah. She's like, oh my goodness, the stone has been removed. Something's not quite right here. Mm -hmm. Let me go get help. She didn't go in at that point. She just saw that the stone was gone. Yeah. She didn't look in, she didn't go in. She's like, something's not right. She just, you know, if you look carefully at the text, where did she get, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb? All she saw was that the stone had been removed. Mm. 
You see where where she yeah, that's interesting. So she looks in, she kind of cranes her head around to look in the tomb. Sees the angels. It says she stood weeping outside the tomb. No, I'm looking at one and two. One and two. Yeah. Yeah. She hadn't looked in yet. Mm. She just saw the stone was rolled away. I see. And then she runs to get her family. Runs to Mm -hmm. get her And then she tells them he's not there. How does she know? Was that her going back to we know what we know? I know he's not in there. She experienced, she saw, she felt, she intuited, she remembered. He's not in there. This is, this is, this is different. This is the way it's been foretold. Like, I wonder what, how many layers of this is wrong. This is, but also he told us this was going to happen. I can sense he's not in there. Like, let me go get the family and see what they think. Mm-hmm. He said, Mary said, y'all got to come because they've taken him out of the tomb. <laughs> and I don't know where he is. We can push for a connection with the Holy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we just like, I'm just letting that there. Um, maybe it's worth reading through it again. And, and going to our second reading and, and starting to notice a call to resistance, um, starting to add a layer of, as we read this, what do we hear for us as how we might resist the forces of empire and oppression that exist in our world? And there might be something that bubbles up in us around something that feels resistant to hearing this text, to the action of the text or whatever. And we know that that's a really powerful place to explore too. So we'll we'll invite both to whichever one arrives, maybe they're the same, Um, we'll experience it. I'd be happy to read it through this time so we can dwell within this emptiness and what that might bring for us. Okay. All right, this is uh, NRSV, John 20. 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus's head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. When the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes, 
But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. What arises when we consider resistance with this text? I think Mary, as well as the disciples, resist the truth. Um, sometimes we have that magnet to belong. That's the status quo can look awfully good sometimes. It's problemless. So only one of those disciples believed. Like, I don't want to hear that. This can't be true. The body can't be gone. Jesus can't be gone. Jesus told them mm -hmm. that this would happen. No, it can't be true. I can't, I can't face the truth. The truth is too much for me to bear. And even Mary, who we called it intuition at, at, at one, knows it's true. She's heard the story. Mm -hmm. She's sat at Jesus' feet. And now, okay, where'd you put him? <laughs> so I've got to deal with this body. I got to be about my business too. Where did you put him? And the resistance to the truth, the truth of the matter is, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days, I'll raise it up. He explained it. Yeah. At the Last Supper, he explained it again. And I just can't believe that that's true. I don't want it to be true. So I make up stuff. Because mm. my mm. made up stuff is more comfortable than the truth. Yeah, I, I think so much of that is also bound up in expectations. What did you expect to find when you got there? And how much 
the projected expectation does impact what you actually can see before you can believe, you know, like they, Mary was expecting to go and deal with the body uh, in a funeralistic way. And when it wasn't there, like her first thought was, well, it's gone, it's gone. And, and there's a whole history of Mary's experience that would lead to that conclusion of it, it, it's not that he's ascended or his body has been transformed, but of course, it's just another notch on the belt of the Roman empire and, um, or you know, those who would seek to destroy the bodies of the dead. Um, to me, what I noticed is also like the, the triggered actions of like the actions that build on each other and how, I don't know, in relating that to resistance, I do think so much of the, the work of resistance is noticing when, how actions compound on each other and, and how they build um, and where things get started and what needs to happen next. And it's just interesting um, to kind of see that. I think John really narrates that very clearly in this text. Like this happened then that happened then the next thing happened. Um, I don't know, this was sticking out to me as, as I was seeing it this time. Well, we said earlier, we talked about Mary's grief being silenced. Nobody paid her any attention. The angels did, Jesus did. But those who had walked with her paid her no attention. And I'm reminded of all of the division we have in this, in these United States, um, the racial division, the hatred, uh, uh, the, the religious divisions, the othering, because that's not what we expect. Mm. Um, we preach and preach and preach that we're all made in the image of God. We've been told that over and over again. So why don't we believe it? But we run around like chickens trying to hide from the truth. But what we do when we do that is we leave people weeping. And we can't help but to look at our texts, not just this one, but all of them, through a colonial lens that has done everything it possibly could to other. So if you're not a straight white male, you get the opportunity to stand beside the tomb weeping. Mm. So where is it that we get to a point in our society that we start believing 
what we've been reading, what we've been studying, what we've been preaching, what we've been living our entire lives. This text is not new to us. I don't think I've ever not been in church on Easter Sunday. I mean, I, this text is not new. Yeah. But I've witnessed more of the running around. <laughs> and I think on, another thing that's powerful in here is we talk about, about resistance. We need to maybe look a little deep deeper in the fact that the angels and Jesus asked Mary, what's wrong? Yeah. Nobody came to Mary and said, get up, move mm. out of the way. We need to go back to the house. Go back to the house with the rest of the site. What are you doing? You know, move, get out of the way. Yeah. The angels yeah. and Jesus said, Alex, why are you weeping? When you ask a question like that, you expect a real answer. This is not, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm just crying. <laughs> I've got allergies. You know? <laughs> i got allergies. Yeah. I really appreciate that nuancing of the question too, because I think sometimes, depending on who's reading, the way they read why are you weeping as an accusatory why aren't you happy about this can't you get happy it's freaking easter you don't <laughs> even know it we're all happy can't you be happy are you weeping? why are you weeping they said to her I woman i know for many folks coming into lent this year it's like damn we've been living lent <laughs> for the past year for the past 500 years this is not the new Lent. Um, and that resistance of, like, do we have to go into mourning again? <laughs> do we have to, like, focus on this hard stuff again? And I, could, I have some empathy for that, for sure. That, that, you know, this text isn't letting off the hook, letting us off the hook and pushing us into Easter trumpet blasts. Um, it's it really, like, why are you weeping? There, there is weeping happening. Let's be curious about why that is. Not hurrying you along, not sealing the, the tomb back up to say, okay, we're done with that now. But we can't believe until we name why we are weeping. I love that. You just can't push through. You can't push through the reparations. Mm-mm. We got to understand the pain first. And that's the example that the angels and Jesus set forth. Why are you weeping? Not what's wrong with you. That's a hugely different question. Why are you weeping? Yeah. I, I read a couple of commentaries for this text that were basically like no no really we don't have to like kind of rescuing Mary Magdalene from a lot of I would say white supremacist patriarchal readings of her of you know Mary's 
got a backstory and she's whatever. Um, that, I don't even know. I, I love Mary Magdalene, so I can't even speak against her. But like, um, just reminding folks how pivotal she is to the story, because I think in some treatments of her in in other contexts, they're like, well, these disciples believed without seeing, why can't you? Or like, and here, but I think Mary Magdalene's the real hero of the story. She's teaching us so much about embodied belief, embodied grief, embodied understanding that that does take, I mean, I love it that Jesus says just her name and that's what causes her to see. Like, just, I see you. I recognize your pain. I recognize all of you. That is like, oh, this is who God is. This is the risen Lord right here. Yeah. That Jesus knows that much about us. And furthermore, it doesn't matter that the establishment is running around crazy, stepping over you, devaluing you, ignoring your pain. It doesn't matter. I see you. I'm your savior. I'm your friend. I'm your teacher. Yeah, the establishment isn't what's resurrected. The establishment is in the back room trying to figure out a plan mm -hmm. to go forward. That's right. Mm. Meanwhile, the action's outside the tomb right here. Yeah. But we are so systemic in the way we operate. We're so systemic. in our cultural to-do lists. And Mary's hurt was not on the agenda. Oof. Yeah, oof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what comes up for me, it's like the agenda said, it's 2021, it's a brand new year, let's put all that past stuff past. And it's like, mm-mm, <laughs> mm-mm. This, we will recognize and reckon with and grapple with the pain. But there, there's just, there's simply no way forward without that. Um, mm. We're not jumping to Easter this year. No. And, you know, we, our translation says weep. Um, that's kind of a soft word in a way. Why, mm. why are you weeping? Um, but I think our Greek text leans into sobbing. I mean, she's a mess. I'm just uncontrollable sobbing. Yeah. Oh, she's just being an old emotional girl. <laughs> yeah. Mary's teaching us how to be. Yeah. The appropriate response to something so 
painfully tragic. And yet I think sobbing is also an appropriate response to relief and release and joy. Like it could be the same, it could be this, I'm just hearing folks who've had their first vaccine shot and the like emotive embodied response to that and beyond, you know, feeling sick for a few days, but um, <laughs> some of the immediate relief and release that comes through for people in that kind of a moment or their loved ones receiving a vaccine, for example. Um, sobbing can, can be the appropriate response for joy and grief. But Alex. Yes, Amanda. The way we've read the text, and the way we've sat in it, maybe just me for a thousand years, we are saying she's weeping because he's not in that yeah. tomb. Yeah. She just watched this man get crucified for nothing. Yeah. So we can't put in a nice box why she's weeping. It's grief on top of grief, on top of grief, on top of injury, on top of injury. It's systemic injury. It's family injury. Friends. And that one steady in her life has died. I mean, a brutal, brutal death. Why are you weeping? Maybe because nobody else is. Mm -hmm. We can't forget what happened Friday. No. Yeah. And if you notice in the text, she's not weeping anymore after she realizes it's Jesus. Then she's ready to run. Mm -hmm. She wants to go out and talk about it. <laughs> like, let me, oh my gosh, what, a, what, what joy. <laughs> I've seen the Lord and he has seen me. Yeah, very rarely do we get brought to a point of this pain with mm -hmm. one situation. There's a history. Yes, that's right. There's a history. That's right. Yeah. Why are you weeping? This is another layer on my already grief-stricken soul. I appreciate you slowing us down, not, I, I didn't, not to turn it into a positive thing, but um, clearly she's weeping out of the depth of grief, that grief upon grief for this death of Christ. Um, I wonder if we're ready to move into our third reading around exploring what vision for the work of abolition might be here. Would you be willing to read it for our third time? Sure. Again, we're at John 21 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, 
They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What vision for the work of abolition? What vision for the work of abolition do you feel like comes forward in this text? I think we're called for a different and deeper commitment and conviction of what support looks like. Mm. And we don't get to name <laughs> the order or who, but we're called to support. We're called not to run past people who are hurting. And I lean into the end of our text today. Who got to see Jesus? Who got to see Jesus? the one who wasn't in the back room trying to figure out next steps. <laughs> the establishment, the power. Mm -hmm. Go tell them you saw me. Perhaps if they had not run off from their duties, they would have seen me too, or run off for their duties as assigned by themselves. 
I just keep coming back to Mary was willing to dwell in her grief and in the emptiness of that tomb. The, I think confronting emptiness can be such a fearful experience mm. of touching that which is there filled of present but not there do you know I, I don't know I can't imagine sometimes that maybe the disciples ran away because they're freaked out by this emptiness they can't handle it mm. it's too scary and I think when we I think one of the stumbling blocks for some folks wanting to take on more work of abolition is like that unknowing of what comes next so we end something then what or we defund the police and then what do we do and um to me it's like let's gather around the tomb and sit with the emptiness and dream maybe the lord will come show us the next way um I think that there is a vision for the work of abolition that invites us to that space of unknowing, radical unknowing, letting go of my plans, my, my running, my assigned duties that I've given myself, um, and part, yeah, that covering your own ass part of like, <laughs> I gotta go do something because I've messed up. We've all messed up. Jesus has been crucified. We messed up. Uh, we're ashamed of that. Yeah. Um, mm. So another thing I think it's calling me to think about is when we talk about emptiness, there's not one definition of emptiness. Emptiness could mean for some a physical emptiness. I haven't eaten mm. but twice this week because my family could not afford food. That emptiness could mean my parents who are called to protect me have not done so. Mm. So I'm walking through my life with a certain emptiness or mm. my spouse is no longer here. Maybe my spouse passed away or left there's a certain emptiness that goes with that mm. or i went to church looking for god and i was turned away That's right. and i'm empty as a result of that so i think i called i called to what we need to abolish is perhaps judging people's emptiness and asking them, Mary, why are you weeping? What is empty for you? Yes. The question that Ruby Sales offers is where does it hurt? Mm. And where is it empty? And that's such a powerful, a powerful question around dwelling with someone in that emptiness rather than I'm gonna try and fill it with my programmatic response to your hunger. <laughs> my plans and strategic plans in response to your my need and life. Yeah, my strategic plan. Here it is on paper. 
right? There it is. Looks really good, doesn't it? It's perfectly written. Um, also written from a perspective of this makes me feel. So I'm mm-hmm. sure it works for you. Okay. And we get into this, this toxic charity model of trying to give people what feels good to us. And I think we're called to not be in that system, which is very closed and exclusive because the emptiness is real. But then we flip again. Mary's the one who got the experience with Jesus. And we hold ourselves out as Jesus loving people. But it was those in power, those um, who were part of the establishment who had the the paper and pen (laughs) as to how we're gonna deal with this Jesus being missing now. What does the book of order say about Jesus being missing? It's our crisis communications plan. Right. I mean, what are we going to do now? That was their emptiness, Alex. Mm. That was, they were totally empty. I don't know about this Jesus. I don't know where Jesus is. I don't. care what Jesus said Friday, we got a problem. Yeah. But your church is founded on this Jesus. Yeah. That's why your church is empty. Mm. Because you don't believe he got up. And you're not paying attention to the ones who are saying that Yeah. Hmm. It makes me wonder if, you know, we celebrate Easter, not only this, the Sunday we read this text, but several Sundays until, you know, Easter two, three, four, five, um, it keeps going. And it makes me wonder what if Easter, instead of we fill it with trumpets, which I love a trumpet, don't get me wrong, but to notice those spaces of emptiness. Where are they? What are we, what have we been tempted to fill them with to make us feel better? Power. Power. Yeah. Um, I'm so full of control, I can even control Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus reminds us all the time. No, we cannot. <laughs> Um, Justin, we thought we got our carpet set up. We got our house perfect. He's just like, <laughs> like I'm going to flip those tables over. We're just not, we're not here to keep it uh, orderly and, and tight. <laughs> our, our expectations, our tunes, our assumptions. Yeah. Get rolled over and turned over. And over. Hmm. Wow. So for me, the work of abolition is almost expecting that tumbling, 
waiting for it, watching for it, that noticing when there is a cry of emptiness, but also I think, yeah, noticing if I'm trying to like order something so much to a degree that mm-hmm. I'm not open to God showing me anew what is possible. It's hard to be open to things we don't believe. Yes. It's hard to be open to Black Lives Matter if we don't think they do. Right. It's hard for us to think that members of the LGBTQIA community are made in God's image if we don't think it's true. We got to believe in Jesus to think Jesus is true. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. It's hard to believe that Asian lives are made in God's image. Yeah. If we don't believe it ourselves. And this text asks us to believe over and over again. It shows us ways of believing, conversations about Jesus knowing us and us knowing Jesus and believing. Um, I, I said this, I think, on the last week's episode or a little before that, that I've really, these conversations have reminded me about the power of belief, not just up here belief but a whole embodied belief that helps us sit down at the empty tomb, helps us slow down and notice when someone's weeping, helps us actually recognize the the risen Christ that, oh, this is this thing I thought was impossible or worried was impossible actually is. And it's, it's a deep bone, deep belief, blood, deep belief that, like you were saying, I I think helps us just imagine as God does about the belovedness and create of of God's creatures. Mm -hmm. I think it's, uh, it's so very powerful. You know, I've walked with you in ministry. I've seen you all over the country from here to Seattle. So I can walk up behind you and say, hey, Alex, If I didn't know you, I can't call you by your name. Jesus said, Mary. Because there was a relationship. Mm -hmm. You didn't ask me, should I call you Reverend Barbie or Amantha? You, You know, because you know me. Yeah. Mary. It's about a relationship. That's right. But we got to believe. That's right. It's been a really powerful conversation. And one of the ways that we kind um, of close our time together is to, is to think about if there's something that we want to 
take with us or hold for ourselves as a result of our conversation? How, what might we hold forth for ourselves because of having had this conversation? I hold on a personal conviction that we always, always should honor everyone's emptiness mm. and share in it. We have emptiness. I have emptiness, you have emptiness. And we have to honor that because it is in that knowing that there's a connection and an opportunity to see Jesus. Mm. I think I think what I want to build on for that too is the reminder just to slow down and notice who's there, who's weeping, to have compassion and empathy and curiosity for that, for, for Mary and for myself. When am I weeping? What am I weeping about? That I think we are conditioned, especially as white folks, especially under white supremacy to ignore and dismiss even within ourselves. Um, but again, like you said, that's that's not how we're going to see Jesus if we keep running past him and past Mary and past all those who are who are tugging on our sleeves to say, "Hey, I'm worried here. I'm weeping. There's emptiness, and I see it." That's that's my invitation to myself when I'm following this. Yeah, I so appreciate you, and I knew the spirit was going to show up, and she sure did. <laughs> and I appreciate all the ways that you help us think and see and believe and experience Christ more fully. Thank you for the gift of who you are. Oh, thank you, Alex. Minton blessings, Easter blessings. <laughs> and thanks to all who've been watching and, and listening and we're grateful for you. We'll be back next week um, at 2 p.m. on Tuesday. Thank you all. Go in peace. Thank you for tuning in to Liberation Bible Study. This podcast is a project of More Light Presbyterians. Tune into our Facebook page at More Light Presby to participate in the live conversation Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. Talk next week. Bye.